And welcome back. Now it's time for the SGP podcast powered by Moza Racing. My name is Paul Glover. Joining me is the one and only Jonathan Earl. But our guest this week is uh, is a man that I met at the Sim Racing Expo for the first time last year. But he's a man I've been aware of for a little while because I've, I've done a bit of commentating over the years and uh, he's taken part in a few races. But these days he's running his own business and he can tell us a little bit more about that. Welcome, the one and only Josh Martin. How are you? I'm doing very well, guys. Thanks for having me. How's it going with you? Yeah, good, thank you. I don't know if you've seen any of the racing action that we're taking part with today, but uh, for those who are just listening to the podcast, we are broadcasting the Moser Endurance Championship at Spa, and it's 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 a bit of a wet one. But uh, yeah, so um, Josh, uh, good questions that I like to start off with um, for anybody who's a guest on a on a podcast is how did you get into sim racing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question to start. So I've been in sim racing for, um, I keep saying five years, but I think it's probably been a little bit longer now. Um, I started off, uh, I sent an email to Frostmaster saying that I wanted to, to get some, some racing hardware. And uh, they sent me some stuff, which was cool. I picked up a set of Corsa, um, absolutely fell in love with the game, the mods, the content, you know, so much that could be going on. Uh, and started to compete, you know, somewhat competitively over over there. Then obviously ACC launched, um, so got involved in kind of more organized, more I guess more proper sim racing, as the case may be. Uh, spent the past few years competing there, and I 2020 raced with Bentley and SRO before the fast guys turned up. Um, and then also alongside all that was kind of trying to carve out a bit of a career as well. So um, started off with kind of helping David over at the sim grids, and then moved away to to launch sim staff. So I've kind of been involved in every aspect of sim racing just because it's a huge huge passion of mine. Yeah, and. I- were you much of a racer kind of before you started getting into sim racing as a as a as a a job full time before you started doing the SRO? I mean, I we talked we talked about it with Aris last time around, uh, you know how we kind of got started. So I'm not going to repeat how I got started because everybody heard it last time around. But for you, what was your kind of initial start to the to the what I call the drug is is kind of racing games and things like that. What do you what do you remember about your youth? Yeah, for sure. I think Aris has probably got a few years on me, so he probably played some of the older games. But um... <laughs> I've got a few years on you too as well, Josh. Don't worry. <laughs> so I, I think my first ever racing game, if you want to call it that, was Lego Racers on the PS1. Um, okay. can't remember when that came out. but that, And then obviously Colin McClary Rally and, and the F1 games as they kind of picked up as well. So probably around like, yeah, 99, 2000 is when I first got into the, the racing genre. Yeah, so and, and I, as you say, you took part in, I think, the first kind of SRO esports series. You just made a, a quip there about, you know, until the professionals um, turned up. Did you did you notice a change during your time when you were taking part in esports that there was like a switch? And was that during COVID where things people started taking it a bit more seriously? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen it as well, even in, you know, the, the endurance series that, that's running um, with yourselves. But um you know the younger guys are coming into the field and these are people who have been like sort of i guess conditioned on on proper sim racing titles um i remember i was watching i think it was brendan lee in f1 esports just pre pre pandemic and you know watching how he was driving it was literally like watching a, a computer because there was all these micro changes going on constantly and you know i prefer like a bit more sort of clunky older like styled touring cars in a set of corsa so then to suddenly have like all these variables change and and watch the guys get more competitive um it's just a different breed now right i'm, I'm sure you guys probably see the same thing it's just the level of competitiveness is, is through the roof right yeah i've like the top just watching some of the top level esports guys now 
they're making tiny adjustments constantly just for each corner and like yeah it's changed so much since the the start of say esports racing it's you wouldn't ever see that say sort of three four years ago um it's definitely got more intricate and more more technical i'd say so for sure yeah i guess when you were racing you didn't have a, a team of engineers with you as where i think when you see some events now they they they, they have a team of, and i saw it at the, at the expo as well they have a team manager um is is that something you you had when you were taking part or is that again been a bit of a, a switch up yeah i think definitely i mean the, the expo is a great show because they had that whole area for the teams and their engineers and, and drivers and stuff at, at the back of the stage and um yeah i'm sure you guys probably feel the same it was kind of like you had maybe a calculator to work out your fuel you had some basic data from the game about what your setup was doing um but a lot of it was just kind of driving by feeling and i guess it is still very much like that you know that the pros are definitely driving by those kind of feelings and giving feedback but um the amount of support that the guys now receive is is massive and it's such a good thing to see for sim racing is it you know adds that professional element but also kind of spans out the career path for a lot of people as well yeah, I think it um, it it was kind of eye opening uh, for me, being at the Sim Expo and and seeing all the rigs set up, uh, yeah. and and just seeing how some some teams were kind of were basic. It just had the one rig, and others some of them even bought three. But that's because they were doing different competitions over the over the weekend as well, and seeing the the technical hitches that they were. They were having like equipment was turning up and it wasn't working and and things like that. Have you had kind of is there a memory that sticks in your head when you were taking part or like a panic or something not quite going your way? Yeah, I think a lot of people will probably be able to resonate with this, but um, fuel fuel has always been my kind of Achilles heel. I remember the amount of league races. I'm sure we've all been there where you're like, I'll just underfuel slightly, just maybe by like half a li- uh, you know half a liter or whatever, and. Um, then you get towards the end of the race and suddenly it's like, yeah, you're not going to make it to the end. Um, so in terms of a specific occasion, there isn't one because there's been so many, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, fuel just the burden of, of every sim racer, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to be, I'm I'm the cautious type, so I tend to overfuel. Mm. Um, uh, but then but then I'm not I'm not doing the pace of these esports guys. Oh, you know, like, I I think I've even raced against you at one point, Josh, and you know you left me, um, you left me behind. So uh, yeah, it's not re- I'm just there just to kind of, if I can get into the top twenty, I'm I'm happy, and that's the you know, and and, and finishing the race is important as well, even even if it goes badly. Um, mm. I I had a question for you, but it's just it's just left my it's just left my head. But I saw you at the expo. Um, and I didn't it really is. know, I, I, I hadn't really understood that you had transitioned away from sort of taking part in racing events. And now, from what I understand with SimStaff, which is your business, that from the other side of it, while you were doing esports, you were you were working with other, other companies and sort of helping at events. So how did you get into that? Yeah, so um, when I left university, I graduated with a degree in psychology and very quickly realized I didn't want to do anything with that. So um, (laughs) I was kind of looking towards the event industry generally around motorsport, Um, not so much like engineering and that kind of stuff, but more like the fan engagement and activation because, you know, I I kind of really enjoy that stuff. 
Um, and then I realized that there's some companies out there um, who run simulators at events. And so then it was kind of like the perfect blend of, of kind of coming with those. So um, spent a, about a year with a, a couple of different companies, you know, um, running everything from Formula E through to F1, through to, you know, stuff at F1 factories and everywhere in between. Um, and the reason that the sim staff really took off is that, and I'm sure, again, you guys have probably experienced this, is if you go to an event, whether it's a trade show, a private event, whatever, and there's a simulator there, you can very quickly tell if the person who's running the simulator is a, is a sim racer, you know, um, whether that's the amount of uptime, whether if there is a technical issue, how they're solving it, or even just the conversation that you're kind of having with the person on the stand. And I realized that actually there's, there's not a lot of people who are sim racers who are doing this. And so, yeah, the whole kind of premise of sim staff is that, you know, sim racers can run sim events better than events companies can run sim racing events. So um, that's kind of where sim staff came from. We're now, you know, growing quite massively. I'll kind of avoid the marketing spiel as such, but that's kind of took up a lot of my full focus and, and we work with a, a wide range of teams and brands now. Yeah, it's funny you should you should point that out because I was at a gaming festival where I live locally yesterday and there was a <clears throat> there's a there's a, another brand of company that I'm not going to mention that uh, do make their own rigs and things close to me and mm. they had a they had a stand there yesterday and um and that I got talking to the guy who was kind of helping and he admitted he's not a sim racer he's a he studied design and mechanical and and that's what how he's ended up in the industry you know building these things building the actuators um in you know making the rig move left and right and 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 so forth but um but you're you are right it um it's it, it, you you need you can tell immediately when you have a conversation with someone whether they whether they're into the hobby or not um and i and it's it's so you do you you found kind of the kind of the hole in the market then is is that what you're saying and you you wanted to find the niche to what you're doing yeah exactly i think you know um the sim expo is a great example imagine you know you went to the sim expo and on all the stands nobody was a sim racer it was just you know generic events companies running them the, the whole feeling of the show would be completely different and it would be just really quite weird so um yeah what we realized is that if you take sim racers and kind of give them a bit of event training uh, they can perform even better than an events company doing sim racing. So we work with, you know, everyone from football clubs to F1 teams to, you know, marketing companies and everyone in between. And, and ultimately, it kind of comes back to that core principle of, you know, the sims are running for longer. There's less technical issues. There's, you know, increased sales opportunities for the companies involved. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a, a hole in the market that we, we've capitalized on. I think we've got just over 85 staff now across the UK, Europe, North America. Um, and obviously continuing to grow. So it's great for, for me because obviously having come from the sim racing background, you know, there's now an opportunity for more sim racers to kind of get involved in full-time careers. And, you know, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think, but, you know, you go back even two or three years, sim racing as a career, unless you were a driver, was non-existent, right? It's amazing how it's changed. Massive, massively. And it's not even just, as you said, like drivers were there, but they, even in that capacity, they weren't as well-known and as big and there wasn't an opportunity from to say, progress but from like just yeah what we do here or what you guys do there are so many different career opportunities now in sim racing that it's just it just feels like it's almost i've come from a real motorsport background it's almost like it's now starting to catch up with real motorsport and there's the same sort of career opportunities not as many as such but it's, it's getting there with that and, and it's the same sort of crossover now you can see more people crossing over into real world motorsport as well from it so it's, it's great to see yeah, definitely. I, I think you're spot on there. And, you know, the amount of people who are building their own rigs at home, like the, the, the sim racing drifting community is something I've recently discovered. And it blows my mind the level of detail that some of the people in there go with kind of customizing their rigs, building their own rigs, making adjustments. 
Um, and those are all the kind of people who a would probably you know quite like to have a career in sim racing, but b are the perfect person to be on a stand because you know if a random person walks up and goes, oh, I want to get involved in sim racing, they can talk to them either at a really technical level or a really simplistic level. Um, and you know, obviously, you guys do a great job with building you know the sim racing communities and you know the online kind of element. And I think that's where we kind of plug in on the the live event stuff is that we help people transition into sim racing. They can find communities, you know, hubs like yours, I should say, and it kind of that full cycle starts to spin if that makes sense yeah That's I... <clears throat> go on john sorry john, i was just saying like as you mentioned before people who aren't into sim racing trying to run rigs uh, events or, or things like that you as you said really notice difference like we were at auto sports show this year and and there was quite a few rigs there that the people who are running it just had no idea they just put them on the stand because they were told it would be good for them and you're talking to them and they're just like yeah i, I, I don't know what like you guys are on about and you're like right okay brilliant so it, it definitely like having people there who are knowledgeable and passionate really does help. Like we saw it at Expo, there's so many people passionate yeah. about it. It just felt like everyone was there because they really wanted to be there. And it was like you could speak to someone in depth about brake pressures or like the pedal pressure, and, and or you could just go and be simple as you like. And, and there was always something to talk about. So, that what you guys are doing there really does make a difference. I'm sure with these companies at events, yeah. yeah. I don't think, I don't Sorry, think people on. realize how, how much effort goes into running those events either do they you know people are on their feet all day they're top they're, they're, as john and i found out at the expo you know it's, <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'll be honest i didn't stop moaning after the first day and my feet were killing me but but at the same time i absolutely i absolutely loved it and and you've turned that into into a into a into a business and you must be really incredibly proud of that yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it, talking to you guys, obviously, you're both very personable and, and, and very uh, approachable. So at the Sim Expo, if someone was already involved in sim racing and trying to find somewhere to go racing, it's very easy for them to be, like, I guess, trusting, I guess, of, of where to go because I've spoken to you guys and these people know what they're talking about. You know, equally, we're kind of, I guess, the step before, which is if someone's wanting to get into sim racing first, how do they do it? Um, and also for the brands, you know, we work with everyone from Digital Motorsport, Race Anywhere, a, a whole variety. For them, it gives them kind of again that trust and, and, and confidence because people are coming up to the rigs um like you were saying john you know they're saying oh what about these pedals what about this wheel and we're helping them to make an informed buying decision so it, it benefits everybody um and it's just a good thing that you know obviously after the pandemic that the event industry starts to pick back up and the sim expo is a great example of that exactly and you said you go to like real world motorsport events so like how are like i know you're sort of like i said think you said formula one events and and things like that you get a lot of the more the old school generation is one of a better term that don't quite understand sim racing but love their actual racing have you found that that helps brands sort of negate that and say look have a go at sim racing or this is our our esports team maybe just want to checking them out and seeing what they're about and seeing these skill the skills on the sims are actual real skills and they sort of maybe respect it a bit more. I've, I've had that before where I say to people, oh, I sim race. And they're like, oh, it's not real. It, it, it's not like real racing. So that's, you should notice that in, in real life. Yeah, for sure. I think respect is probably the, the right word for that. Um, you know, we work with a couple of the F1 teams that they're, they're various activations rather than F1 in the kind of fan zone. Um, and there you're getting, you know, fathers coming with sons, mothers with daughters, families, whatever the case may be. Um, and it just helps kind of bridge that generational gap that technological gap um and really gives people like you say a newfound appreciation for, for what's going on um and it's quite often that then someone will come away from an event like this purchase their own simulator and they'll, they'll go racing um we do a lot of private installations as well kind of supporting some of those companies i was talking about earlier and and there it's a wide range of individuals you know everyone from 
celebrities right through to kind of just people who have you know the money to, to spend and buy a new rig and yeah it's amazing how once people understand what the value is in it and once they find somewhere to go racing and race together that community aspect just changes their whole perspective right i'm sure you know you guys have seen the same when you're talking to people who are maybe new to to simracing.gp yeah massively like yeah like you see people coming in and they're like oh it's just sim racing i do it for a bit of a laugh and then they discover it say a community where there's a lot of leagues going on and then they go actually this is very competitive it's also a lot of fun and it's a great community to be part of so like the sgp racing community there's so many so much going on in there they sort of maybe sign up for a bit of fun and then realize oh actually i can do this more seriously and, and get involved in leagues and, mm. and things like that i've had that with people i know who've not really understood it i've said come and have a go see what you think and then they've gone out and bought rigs is <laughs> I, they they get hooked to it as much as I do, so it yeah. definitely. I suppose those events do help people as well. Yeah, I introduced I introduced a really good friend of mine to uh, sim racing, and he's got more money than me, so <laughs> he went he went and got a better rig and, and other bits and pieces. But uh, his wife's now making him sell it all because he wants the space back, so uh, <laughs> uh, he won't be sim racing much much longer. Um, when you you say you you do private jobs where you you know get people into sim racing how do you do that do you do that from a, i guess budget plays a big part in that and, and what kind of recommendations you can make but do you how but do you just go well if they've got this amount of money to spend we'll just give them all the best equipment or do you ask them questions and understand what they what they're trying to achieve how do how, where do you get how do you join the line and, and kind of decide which way to go yeah, it's a great question. So I guess to kind of answer the business model for, you know, when I was setting up um, sim staff, you know, or I guess just talking about sim racing generally, obviously there's a lot of people who are competing for various different sectors. You know, you can probably name off the top of your head five or six places that sell sim racing equipment. Mm -hmm. There's probably five or six that, you know, finds and create leagues and host communities for sim racing. Um, so with sim staff, really what I wanted to do is trying to avoid that that conflict. So what will happen is if you go to most of the major kind of sim racing stores, I guess for lack of a better term, when you purchase a turnkey build from them, uh, we will then be the people that do the install because that's where our technical knowledge comes in. Um, right. Obviously, you know, we can advise and, and provide guidance to the customer once it's on site. Um, but generally speaking, we kind of let the, the shops do that part. But right. um, in terms of, I, I guess, just on that tangent of helping people kind of um, when we've built those rigs as well, it's just kind of pointing them towards where to go racing. And this is why people who have that technical knowledge already, people who have already built the rigs, it's not just, you know, here's your cockpit built. It's like, okay, let's tweak the force feedback. Let's adjust the brake bias. And it just kind of brings the whole package together. So you're yeah. not just saying, here's a rig, go drive it. You're sort of exactly. getting them in, saying, sort of sitting them in, getting them set up in the right position, and then getting it all sort of fine tweaked to how they like to feel and, and what their sort of preferences exactly. are as such. Because that's one of the biggest things I found when I first got my my rig and, and things. Like that. I started off on a very basic thing where there's no adjustment. And I've worked my way up. When I first got my new like new setup as I've got now, I didn't have a clue where to start and turn to. I was just like, slap it in and, and sort of twink, tinker with things and go, feels a little bit better, but no. This, so like having that support, it, I imagine for a lot of people, is it's massive as well. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, I'll use Moses as the example because obviously they're, they're involved with this podcast, but you can imagine if, uh, you know, someone's buying some new hardware from Moza and someone turns up to install it in this person's house for them. It's like that extension of the brands and on a technical level, just kind of, adds to the overall experience now we don't worry with moza hopefully we will at some point but you know conceptually it's that kind of white glove experience for you know people who have the budget or have the desire to really make sure they're getting that you know experience right from the outset and it makes a world of difference yeah, yeah i mean i've 
Go on. Oh, sorry. It, it really does because I was saying to someone the other day um, that I just want plug and play a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and I think that's really important. And if you can, because sometimes I think for manufacturers, the hardware could be really great, but the software element, <laughs> not not so much. I think it's fair to yeah. say. Um, so I think getting getting both right is fundamentally really important for the for the user's experience, and I think that's where consoles win over. I think in in mm-hmm. some aspects, you know, and it's great that Seto Corsa Cospizione is available on the PlayStation and the Xbox because it opens them up to a new market. Um, because it just generally it just works, but sometimes you turn on a PC and something doesn't quite you know well it was working yesterday. But it's not quite working today, and that could be due to a driver update or maybe a slightly loose cable inside your case. So, I think the white glove element you just mentioned, I think, is really important. Be able to get. And then, do you take someone? Because it reminded me yesterday when I tried this, when I tried the setup yesterday, the gaming festival. It was a set of Corsa, mm. and it was VR. And and I and I used to race in VR, and I said, I just forgot. Like to get to the start button, you had to look up to the left. You know the little nuances that people don't think about because it wasn't designed originally to work with in mm. VR. So the menu system isn't quite right. And things like that. so do you take them through the Sims that they've purchased? I mean, how does it work from like a software point of view as well? Yeah. You've, you've hit on something really quite important there, which is, you know, with the recruitment process for us, it's not just anyone who has a sim where you can come and join sim staff. You know, we try to kind of be very selective with our recruitment. And these are all people who work for us who have had, you know, at some point, some kind of bugbear, whether that's software or hardware, because, you know, like you say, that's then where, when you're with a customer, you can kind of give them those pointers along the way so that they're not even having to pick up the phone in a week, two weeks time saying, no, it's not working. You know, it's like, these are people who have experienced the frustrations and now know the equipment. So yeah, on the software front, you know, um, we've got a great example. We, we installed a simulator for someone a couple of weeks ago and there it was not only setting up iRacing, a set of Corsa, et cetera. It was like, Let's install a custom shaders patch. Let's show you how to kind of do some post-processing filters. Um, you know, if they did want to tweak setups and that kind of stuff, we showed them just how to do it fundamentally. And obviously they'll explore it in their own time. But it's, again, just that, I guess one of the big things we stop happening is returns to these kind of brands, whether it's, you know, Fantech, PlaySeed, et cetera, whatever, is that it's not a customer getting frustrated saying this isn't working, I'm returning it. It's, oh, actually, I do know how this works. And I know these nuances like you kind of alluded to. It's just like I've 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 experienced it myself. We in the real world stuff, we used to put our gentleman drivers and say, "Get a sim, you can really try it." And then they'd pick up and go, "I have no idea what I'm doing." So, yeah. like something like that would be like what you guys do: get them in, set up, software's explained, the actual process of it all explained is is that's that that would put a lot of people off sim racing. So, what exactly. that is doing is is getting them in and going because when I first started, I was like. I don't know what I'm doing with setups. I don't know what I'm doing with setting up the wheel. I just, I lost all faith in it until I found someone who would actually sit down and help me through it. So that, that's a massive thing as well. Are you any good with setups now, John? No, still useless. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about you? What about, what about you, Josh? With like just car setups and it's, you know, is that something you understand? Do you take your customers through that or do you let them fend for themselves? Yeah, um, it depends really. On a set of Corsa, for example, depending on the car, I can usually dial stuff in. But I'm sure you guys probably experienced this. And, and, you know, John, I'd be curious to get your feedback is what you learn in real life doesn't necessarily correlate to, you know, the sim when it comes to a car setup. There can be like some fundamentally broken car setups that are quick. Um, 100%. Right. And Yeah, I mean, ACC is the the prime example of that. We put a lot of our drivers at first into that because we were racing SRO 
championships and now cars and tracks are all in there. So we're like, go there. And then, then realizing there's all these metas and things like that to make the cars actually feel good. We were trying to like put our real life setups on the cars in the game. So we drove a McLaren GT4, tried to put that on the car, didn't work. And the driver's like, what is going on? We're like, we don't know. So stuff like that doesn't, like having knowledge from the industry does help as well yeah def definitely and i think you know we're not aiming our service isn't really aimed at the, the person who is sim racing eight hours a day building their own sim because these are the people who are you know they're the people that are wanting re to recruit you know they're the people that are really passionate about what's going on it is very much geared towards that kind of more entry-level market people who are new to sim racing generally going to events you know to get them in the door get them through the, the kind of door frame and then they can find resources for, for various elements they can find places to go racing but it's just that that hand holding at the start where it's so important yeah i mean so, what, what events well, have you like done that are like do you do like larger scale things obviously you spoke about like the home installs and the small installs do you do like a mass event with like say tons of rigs and you go set them all up and and they're there for say like the weekend and you supply the staff for that and then is that something else you do as well yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of them are obviously white labeled, but you, I can probably allude generally to what they are. Um, so there is like a, a high profile, maybe a racing series that has a you know a three quarter of a million prize pool that we've been involved with. Uh, with Gfinity, we've done some stuff for their V10R League, for example. Um, and then like pop-up shops and more Formula One focused activations as well. And you know, obviously there it's a completely different scale. You know, you're talking thousands of people potentially per day compared to kind of the private customer install. But fundamentally the experience is still the same if you turn up to use a sim rig for the first time at a store you want to just jump in and be able to go racing and if something goes wrong you want someone right there to fix it straight away um it's amazing how if you don't have that how bad an experience it can leave for someone and they'll just be turned off from the hobby altogether all and, and kind of like you said john they won't respect it which is such an important aspect so I, I think oops sorry go on, Paul. Go, no, no, go on carry on i was just going to say like we, i feel like the transition now is so massive that it is getting more respected as well because there's yeah. people so passionate about this industry and so passionate about pushing it out there and getting it into the say the real world motorsport fans that it is getting more respected and and you see and i think f1 drivers say like the big profile like max lando them showing their sim racing side as well really does help the, the community i don't know if you've seen an increase in say since that all started happening in lockdown as well that you've seen an increase in sort of orders and things like that yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll, I'll throw it to Paul in a second because I'm sure, you know, you guys have got great data on your side. But um, so SimStaff turned two years old literally like a week and a half ago. So we literally just missed kind of the, the start of the pandemic, which obviously when all the rig sales were through the roof. But from the event front, you know, we've seen a huge demand and a lot of people will say, oh, I know Max does this or I know George does this or is this really how Lando sits in his sim? And um, yeah, it just helps bridge that gap massively for anyone who watches F1 or any form of motorsport and then sees a sim rig. And you know, obviously they're not going to be at the same level, but it does help them kind of frame just how difficult it is to drive a car. So, so we, it, John was asking you about events that you help out with. I was, just, I was looking at your website earlier on and I can see that you, one of the services you offer is simulator rental and, and purchase. Mm. So do you have a number of simulators ready to go for these events and then you ship them around globally? But I also saw that you, you, you've broken out into the US as well. So do you have equipment you know, in different parts of the world, or do you go and rent them yourself and bring them into the place and set them all out? How does how does that model kind of work? 
Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to give a shameless plug here to the guys at PlaySeat because they've helped us out massively. Um, we literally spent this past weekend building a whole bunch of, of simulators. And just before we jumped on the podcast, I was talking about moving boxes because I've got a whole bunch of monitors over there as well. So uh, we got seven sim rigs in the UK, um, access up to 40 if we need them. And then we've got um, five at the moment in, in Canada, planning to scale that up, obviously, as well. So um it was an interesting one and again i'd be curious to hear if you guys had a similar experience but people were coming to us originally for the staff saying you know i've got a sim rig can you provide the staff to run it but it's very quickly becoming oh as well as the staff do you have a spare sim rig or one of our partners has got an event can you send a sim rig here so it's not out and out kind of event deployment and rental to just anybody but more that kind of our client base that we're already serving and i'm sure i guess it was the same with you guys you know when you launched the the kind of community functionality is there was more and more requests as it builds over time and as the the landscape develops right yeah like as you say the more it grows and the more the, the industry grows the more requests and and more sort of you, you keep that base client base but they want more from it or they want more built upon like as you said you, you originally were just providing staff and now it's rigs and things like that yeah it's it, the industry is growing so quickly that sometimes it's hard to to keep up with it all and and i think some of the hardware suppliers are, are struggling to keep up so if they those companies say wanted to buy a rig and they couldn't at least then you've got that, that opportunity to provide them with one to use in that meantime as such as well because i've seen so many shortages <laughs> no definitely i think um the big thing there as well is if you look at a lot of the the sim racing hardware companies they're they're quite small kind of teams okay they've got their manufacturing processes but the actual core team are quite small so if they want to go to sim expo you know you're potentially losing you know anywhere from 10 to 30 percent of your office and it's like well do they really need to be there for the full weekend? Could they be there for only one or two days, but they still need the rigs? So, you know, we can come in and fill the gap, act as if we're kind of, um, I guess, white labeled as a conduit on their behalf. And then they can focus on what they do best. We can do what we do best and it, it pairs together. Exactly, because those people from the office might not be positioned to go and run a stim rig or speak exactly to people right. on the daily. Whereas you guys handpick your staff to say, these are the guys who are passionate and know what they're talking about. Put them out there and let them talk to them. Well, sort of I guess that's kind of similar to what you and I did at the expo, isn't it? On our stand last exactly. year, you know, like getting because I think, uh, Josh, what was the when was the when was the when did you first attend the Sim Racing Expo? Uh, the first year it was at the Nurburgring. So was that 2018, So I was there in 2019 when it was at the Nurburgring. Yeah, and then went last year, which is when I met yourself. And yes. it's just changed so much in, in mm. that short amount of time. And, you know, moving location was quite a risk for them, but I think it paid off. And I think there was there was definitely more footfall um, and mm. more people who were new to, like, we, you know, we got asked questions and, you know, people and just kind of getting people in the rig, getting them up and running, showing them how to do, you know, you know, because a lot of them would get in the rig and then try and use the clutch as the brake because that's what they would use in the car and things like that. You know, like not quite little things. So I was just kind of like, no, this is. And sometimes someone didn't speak English, so you know, like, so it's kind of like you know needed just kind of using go brake, accelerator, brake. You know, like using hand signals to try and get things um, communicated. But I think uh, the expo and other things like yesterday when I was at a gaming festival. They had some rigs with the F1 game on and they just had some basic pedals and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes that's all you need. It's kind of like, yeah. I think the Expo has got to you do that a little bit more in the sense like, because it's the gateway drug. Not everybody has thousands and thousands of pounds to spend 
on expensive equipment and some and I started out with a with a cheap rig as like John did and a and a cheap wheel and pedals and have upgraded over the years. Now on the subject of upgrading, you might have seen that our friends at Moser have just announced a couple of amazing new products to add to their ecosystem. First up, the R12 wheelbase adds a 12 newton meter direct drive system to the range and looks stunning in the recognizable Moser aviation grade aluminium design. To go with the R12, there is also the superb new KSGT style wheel. This is a 300mm butterfly style wheel with magnetic paddles, dual clutch, and customizable buttons aplenty. Both of these new products are available now at moserracing.com. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I think you, you've hit on something really quite crucial there, which is that, um, you know, local culture i guess for lack of a better term is really quite important so part of our, our extended network is you know the long-term goal is to have someone in every city to kind of respond to events so we had people at the the Ciesco major in paris for example french speaking so that way when someone was getting into the rig we were able to bridge that language barrier and again for the, the brands involved it gives them you know an extended sales pipeline i think in terms of the expo my my opinion is a little bit out there i guess a little bit different which is if i was a sim racing company I'd go to the Sim Expo out of necessity, but I'd be looking at every other event that isn't the Sim Expo to actually kind of proactively, you know, approach because I think that's where you get the new audiences. Um, yes. And, you know, could you, I know Autosport was maybe, it's, it's an okay example. We'll use that as an example. Like the amount of new users you could get for, you know, Sim Racing GP or new, you know, purchases of Moza hardware at a show like that is tenfold what you get at the Sim Expo where people are already coming. They already know what they need. And it's like, yeah, I just think it's two different markets really. Yeah massively like us or expo a lot of the people we were seeing getting into to rigs are people who've already raced they they love their sim racing they're ready to go they just want to try the equipment out um, and see how they get on whereas other shows you're gonna see people who are new to it and who want to jump in like there's a few at expo where it's like a parent jumping into the rig or something like that but other big events like i've seen it before in like from a real world side of things we've taken a car to a real event and no one really quite knows We've got so many more different, more um, what's it, engagement out of it, so much more engagement out of it because they, they're completely new to it. It's a new thing. And I guess that's where brands really see a a, a value from it is, is different events where they can get new audiences in, buy this in, or, or whatever, like, or the hardware. Yeah. Do, 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 you, do you help companies drive their strategy for events like that? So, you know, they might have a target to, to to engage and then you might go well you might think that the expo might be the best choice for you but actually if you want to get new customers and new people into the into the the hobby if we want to call it that um you actually might want to take a slightly different approach yeah no you're spot on and there, there's a couple of clients that we do work with that are are kind of now seeing that and they're, they're tapping into that market and their, their growth is, is really amazing i mean brand strategy is it's not something that's one of our core focuses, but it is something that we do obviously get approached on because we've got quite a bit of data from from various events throughout the year. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so interesting to see. I think that's like the next major land grab. I mean, you know, everyone talks about North America and I think, it, you know, that's the perfect example is you've got lot, like three Formula One races there. The rest there is not. Um, so if you want to engage with the sim racing audience in North America, outside of NASCAR and IndyCar, you need to be going to non-motorsport events. And that'll be where it's really, really interesting to see. Um, you know, you look at Rennsport and other titles, they're trying to be a bit more of a, 
esports title than a motorsport title or sim racing title. So I don't know if you guys are seeing that kind of shift as well in terms of how the communities are maybe, you know, engaging and activating, but it definitely feels like people are trying to create more of a show now and not just a, here's a league race on a Sunday night. 100% like there's, there's definitely more focus on the broadcast element, the making that, as you said, like a production out of it, especially now with Rensport as it, as it has been with the, the whole ESL thing. They make such a big show of it, making it a real life LAN event. It's and and even the the SRO LAN events now, they're really trying to in, engage it and, and get an audience there and and really start to bring a, a show out of it rather than just saying this is our league race on a Sunday night, as such. And it, it's great to see that it's trying to push that that mainstream as well. It's, I think, it's really I think good. what you got to remember though, a lot of the people running these events are the people that started out doing stuff for communities. Very you know, true. I think. Um, and like you, you look at someone like Paul Jeffrey, who's doing the SRO um, stuff at the moment, and you know the you know I'm lucky to call the lanky man a friend of mine because um, <laughs> he he's like six foot seven. It's ridiculous. I called him the other day the Peter Crouch of sim racing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like he's now in. He's still doing the esports SRO stuff, but he's also taken to the real world and now commentating on TCR and it's genuinely great to see because it's not just I think people sometimes forget that it's not just the drivers that can sometimes do the crossover and some drivers who do crossover if you look into their past they do have real life racing experience it's just that money might have stopped them progressing where they got to a certain point and you see that I think um, a little bit out there but but also there are the people that are in the sort of racing communities that we see online that also especially in the commentator arena who get to make that jump across into real life as well so it opens other doors but what people don't see is the hard work that um and i that people put in behind the scenes i mean when you do a broadcast even even if it is just a a little league with five views or whatever they've still got to spend the time in prepping obs and everything else and making sure everything everything works and that's a skill in itself. And I think the community has some really talented, talented people. Um, and and I'm sure that's what you're finding when it comes to hiring people for your organization. Yeah, no, you're spot on. I mean, we're, you know, we as Sim staff are already kind of, you know, we're speaking to yourselves and, and, and some other brands in the space about how can we really tap into this and work with the communities to provide, you know, obviously in the first instance, freelance opportunities, but potentially stuff that scales to part-time and full-time. And, you know, if we use broadcasting as an example, the amount of brands that go, okay, I'd love some sim rigs. Oh, but you can do some vision mixing. You can have it on a screen that stands. It just elevates the whole whole process for them. Um, and again, you know, using someone like Paul or, you know, Dan from, from your guys' uh, sides, these are great personalities. And if you think about how that relationship's been formed, it's both in sim racing. And if someone's first experience is kind of meeting someone like Paul or like Dan, you know, it just it, it elevates it so much more. Um, and that for us is kind of the big thing is if we can capitalize on that talent and recruit it and bring it on boards, you know, it just makes such a world of difference. Yeah, it does. And and you see some of the, some of the level of the broadcast you get amongst communities. And, and I think what happened was is that during COVID, a lot of places turned to those communities because they didn't have the necessary experiences and, and doors and avenues started to to open for others um, in the industry. Like for me, myself, I'm, you know, I'm full, fully, fully employed elsewhere. I, I do this because I love doing it. Right. And it's a, and it's, and it's, and it's a hobby for me at the end of the day, but, but it, but everyone's so passionate and I've met some great people and, and 
And that's one of the things that I loved about being in the expo was I was able to actually physically, ha- you know, touch people and have lunch with them and dinner with them and not touch them in a weird way. I just want to say, but you know what I mean? Like shake their hands, high five, whatever, whatever that looks like. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take a man hug off everybody, off anybody, any, any time of the day, but do you know what I mean? And I think that you kind of just saw everybody coming together for the thing that they love, they love to do. Um, and the amount of passion coming through as well. And, and like you say, brands suddenly can kind of be, elevated because they they kind of like their eyes are suddenly open like this is amazing and this is all from some computer sitting on a desk somewhere no exactly um so if you go to manchester city's youtube channel for example they did some content for next entire one of their sponsors um which we we provided that activation to them and initially it started off they said yeah we wanted you know the players to race against a racing driver and we'll kind of see what happens within a matter of you know, a couple of calls, it accelerated to, okay, so we want head-to-head races, we want, you know, some vision mixing, we want some replay clips, we want all this kind of stuff. And then it goes from just, like, dropping off some hardware to, you know, people engaging with football players, you know, some, you know, um, people broadcasting it, streaming it, editing it. And it's like, you know, at least for myself, you know, I never in a million years would have thought I'd be engaging with Manchester City, let alone through sim racing. So it's amazing how the brands can tap into it. And that's why for us, like, the more we can build up that talent pool, serve literally the rest of the globe, it just, it, it's, there's so many opportunities for people and I can't wait to see where it goes. So, yeah, can't wait to see where it goes. Where do, where do you think it is going to go? Because I'll be honest, I kind of expected things to slow down once the pandemic sort of became a thing in history and we're now three years beyond that now and things don't appear to be slowing down is was i wrong to to think that or how did how i mean obviously you started a business up in 2021 so you must have seen something that i didn't that i didn't see <laughs> i don't know if it was that or if it was a little bit of luck but um right. I think, I think we were ahead of the curve slightly, you know, obviously, uh, and, and by no means a financial expert, I think, you know, everyone's obviously talking about, you know, uh, the cost of living and marketing budgets are typically one of the first things to get cut. But the important thing to remember with sim racing is that it's not just a marketing activation. You know, we have companies who are using it for team building. We have teams who are, or companies, sorry, who are using it for, for research. And so when you look at it like that, you go, okay, so actually there is a lot of demand still for the service. Obviously, SRO, you see what Alessio and the guys at AK are doing. And um, I think it's going to continue to grow. And I think, you know, people's trust in public events has grown up massively again. And um, based on the data we're seeing, you know, I was saying to the guys uh, last quarter, we were up 186% over this time last year. Wow. So, um you know, obviously part of that is because we're scaling as a small business, but still mm-hmm. the demand is very much there. And like I say, you know, the goal is still to have someone in every city in the world. And if we can achieve that, then maybe at that point we'll consider that we kind of tapped out the market. But until then, I think there's so much potential for everybody. So what kind of CEO are you? Cause, and, and do you think of yourself as a CEO? Because you, you're still relatively young, aren't you, Josh? Um, I mean, I'm what, 26 going on 27. So Yeah, so you've got a few yeah. years on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Are you are you still mucking in, getting involved, or are you now sitting back, crossing your arms, going, "No, I'm the CEO. I don't do that anymore." <laughs> no, to be fair, I think you know, given that I started in sim racing as a as, as a sim racer, you know, um, I still have a, a huge passion for events and getting involved. So over the weekends, you know, I was helping the guys with with building the rigs for for what's coming up. Um, I'll be at Silverstone and then Goodwood running sims for us. Um, and obviously within that, there's still you know the 
the admin and back end stuff that needs to go. But um, David Perel is someone who, you know, I've had the fortune of working with quite closely over the past few years and, and learn a lot from him. So, you know, I guess in a nutshell, I don't really consider myself a CEO as such, but definitely kind of a, a representative of the brand and, and someone who's trying to promote careers in sim racing. Uh, and hopefully just the message gets across to people that, you know, there are opportunities out there, whether it's something you want to do full time, whether you fit it around another job, like, you know, you guys are, um, but but the the scope for sim racing is bigger than ever. Yeah, it it, it it's kind of interesting to to think about what the the future holds. Not just generally in the the scope of sim racing, but hardware, software, yeah. uh, any anything else, community wise. And I think that's another thing is the likes of Discord have have had a big part to play in in not just sim racing communities but other communities and then you find out that WEC use it for their uh, for their stewarding and things like that so it it plays a part in in real life motorsport as as much as it does in and that might have been something they learned from the virtual Le Mans 24 right it was like what is what is this Discord thing that you guys keep talking about and and now they're using it um, in the real life one and and I think that was a big point, big thing for me was the Le Mans 24, the virtual, right? I mm. didn't, I didn't think we'd ever see that some like a great event like that because it replicated the real life in such a glorious way. I thought. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I guess John would be curious to hear your thoughts because you've probably got the best position from from all of us on this. But I mean, it, it certainly seemed to me like it was, despite all the software issues, which in reality most games have, you know, no game's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think conceptually, you know, it was a great way to bring the two worlds together. Oh, uh, massively, and and you can see that from say, like Jimmy, like look at Jimmy Broadbent, yeah. like he's gone and jumped in a real car and he won a championship last season. It's mm-hmm. the crossover is definitely happening more and more and. And and a lot of real world teams and drivers I speak to now, who I'm still friends with from when I worked, are taking it a lot more seriously. I mean, look at SRO now as well. They their real life championship. They have their real world pro drivers go and sit in a rig at an event, run an event, and that that race will give them real championship points. Say three four years ago, I would never have dreamed of that happening. You wouldn't expect anyone to go. Oh, I've got an idea. Let's put all these pro drivers in a sim rig, and and that can affect the real championship. But it shows that the shift is happening in the sim world and the respect is getting there. And that, that I think that's a massive pack from real world events, the drivers, the big name drivers getting involved and things like that. I think that's really helping the, the community and showing us in a good light as well. Yeah, exactly. I think the last thing I'd kind of say on that is, you know, if you look at the winter break or the, even the summer break, I suppose, like if you're a real life racing driver, what do you do now? You've, you've probably got a sim rig sat in the corner that's either gathering dust or you're using it, hopefully. Um, so it makes sense that you jump on, that you're finding leaks to race in, that you're, you know, maybe still recommending to some of the newer drivers on the grid to get a sim. Um, so I, I think sim racing has proven that it's a valid tool. And you know that's one of the biggest steps obviously people like moses coming into the space dropping the price of uh you know what it takes to get decent equipment also has a huge impact because it just opens up the door to so many people so yeah it's going to be really curious to see how it grows over the next five years i think um the hard part's been done and it's now just kind of maintaining um that that growth definitely and definitely. It, as you mentioned moses coming in and, and and dropping that that entry level but good equipment price is only going to be a good thing for other brands who then go well now we've got a rival rat and it's going to be a it's really interesting space to see where hardware brands will go in the next three or four years because everyone's bringing out new products all the time and some of the innovation in it is just ridiculously good for the prices that they've now got to put them up for so it's, it's really going to be interesting to see 
competition is good for the consumer, isn't it? That's exactly. that's, and I think the more the more that we see, um, the 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 better will uh, choice. I mean, that's the only thing is the more the more choice, the harder it gets to choose what you go for. I, I think. But Josh, we talked a lot about your your business, and um, and you said that you know it is a hobby of yours. How much sim racing are you getting up to these days? Yeah, that's a great question. To be honest, not as much as I want to. Um, I did the the Team 87, which I... Or was it the Team 87 series? It was obviously hosted by yourselves, yeah. um, with Jimmy, which was awesome. Um, I occasionally try and dip into the Fire Esports series when I can get you know involved in that. Um, I just love picking up and playing a set of Corsa. Like, uh, you know, like um, with the amount of content that's available, you can just pick it up. You can... You know, race the the Norwich Lifer. You can go down LA Canyons, whatever the case is. So it's probably more casual now, um, but it's still like a really important part of work, as bad as it sounds. Because ultimately, when those new titles come out, you know, I picked up Rensport over the weekend. That's all the content that's going to be informing, you know, the the manufacturers and the distributors, and then in turn us. So um, it's a pretty good excuse to continue sim racing. <laughs> but I'm sure you guys are the same. The more time you spend in the space, the less time actually in the seat, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, I've noticed that, but. When you do want to get in, you want to jump in and have a bit of a laugh. And, and yeah, but John's far, John's faster than me, though. I need to get some <laughs> tips. But um... yeah, I'm, not, I'm not quite Josh's level yet, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I, uh, I, I once did a... Because uh, I live quite close to Butmore Park, and I did an endurance, oh. my first ever endurance race a few years ago. And I thought I was half decent, but then you get teams turning up with the, the all the gear, like radios, everything, like pit boards, <laughs> and I'm like... Wow, this is next level, isn't it? Um, and and I think I was one of the slowest drivers, and I was like a little bit a little bit disheartened. But but yeah, it I, I would I I should race more than I than I do, but I you know I work full time, and sometimes turning on the rig at the end of the day, like all I want to do is go to bed. If I'm being totally honest with you, I'm such an old man sometimes. <laughs> but I also as it, when it's a bit warmer like it is now. Um, it, it it's getting that motivation, and, and that's why I think it's quite tremendous that we've got so many drivers in today uh, taking part in the Most Endurance Championship because some of them will be sweating, um, depending where they live, right? And uh, I I did my last race a couple of weeks ago. Um, wasn't a very good race, but I got out of the seat and my back was all just wet. So even <laughs> though it, even though I had a fan on me, so but when you when you do if you pick it up or you've got a few few minutes to yourself what's your go-to sim what do you what do you fire up where, where do you head yeah um it's kind of two directions so a set of corsa is always a good one you know the guys at kunos have been have been great to me over the years so um i always like picking up ac1 and kind of jumping on a, a public server the other one's dirt rally you know i do enjoy a bit of rally racing as well um and it's just because it's kind of pick up and play i think you know, I did a piece with um, the Gadget Show, and it was kind of about how entry level or how affordable sim racing can be. And we had, you know, it was a very basic like wheel stand, not a cockpit, a wheel stand plus a laptop plus a, I think it was a Frostmaster wheel at the time. And the whole package was like I don't know, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred pounds, but it just showed how accessible it can be, and you can literally then fold it up and put it away. So um, I think my one big you know hope for the sim racing space is that we continue to have that kind of pick up and playability um Definitely. because it's just so important for for the communities for the pros for for people who just want to have a good time right i mean that's how i started i started with a a, a wheel bolted to my desk on project cars too and i got into then played it for fun got into league yeah. racing and then i was like I, I didn't realize what community was there and that's when i started picking up more equipment and and things like that so hope yeah as you said hopefully the manufacturers yes they're still trying to push this 
high end stuff for lower budget, but still keep making that entry level stuff so we can see more and more people coming in. Because as Paul said, and I've, we've got friends started to come into it. You see, you see big YouTubers now starting to get into it. You've got like yeah, yeah. Trout doing it earlier this year, and and some of like the um, some of the British guys at the top, like the, I think the Sidemen guys, they're now picking up sim racing and doing content on it. So it's it's only going to be good for these brands are still doing the entry level equipment for sure. So people can start to pick it up and get into it. Yeah. I mean, I know that Hamlin we, we've been watching today in the, in the Mercedes as, you know, races with a, a, a base attached to a desk, you know, like not everybody has the budget to, as we, as we see on screen, uh, we, you know, we still got the race going around the 71 spins, but, but yeah, I think sometimes you kind of like, um, you're racing against someone and you find out they're two seconds that faster than you and they're, and they're using the most basic of equipment, you know, and it just, because sometimes people correlate equipment with pace and talent, but it, but it isn't. It's unfortunately, it's the, it's the human that is where it all falls down. And, and generally that is, that is me, but that's not to say when I made the jump to better pedals, it definitely made me more consistent, more consistently slow, but still consistent, right? Um, you know, less spin. So it, it does, it does play a part, um, but it isn't the be and end all. And I think that's sometimes I use it as the gate, you know, the gateway drug, I think is, is a term I like to use because I think you can get hooked to it. And I, and I've got nephews and nieces and I want to get, and, and I try and get, people hooked into it as much as possible because i think it's a it's a not only is it a great hobby but it's there's great communities out there and a lot of those reside on sim racing gp um and people that are willing just to help you and share their knowledge and get you up to speed and you know like how you do how you do a team swap and you know driver swap and things like that it's these little nuances that each game's slightly different right so that's the thing as well one game does it one way another game does it a completely different way and that's where you and your company come in josh and i think that's really important yeah exactly that's it it's like just the you know holding someone's hand because i i was thinking about this the other day um you know besides like a house and a car and maybe like an engagement ring or something a sim rig for a lot of people is probably one of the biggest expenses they're going to make um and yet when you order a fridge or you order an oven or any kind of utensil, there is always some form of kind of onboarding and training where that's, you know, manuals and documentation, whether that's someone coming to install it and, and show you. And okay, it's not as simplistic as an oven or a fridge, but a sim rig is, like I say, so expensive. And it's kind of like, okay, here's the manuals, put it together yourself, turn it on yourself. The software might not necessarily work with our hardware, but you have to work that out. It just doesn't create a great experience. And I think if you can bridge that gap and bring it together by someone who doesn't have a vested interest to be, you know, selling the most wheels or selling a specific type of software, but just, a, you know, a group of people who have a passion for the hobby or for the, the space, that's where, where everyone can really benefit from. And as you said, you're trying to get those, the community of sim racing. I find I've been in a lot of different gaming communities. I used to play competitive Call of Duty or Counter-Strike, things like that. They're massively toxic communities. No one will help you if you have an issue. Whereas I feel like sim racing, I have an issue and I put it in a community Discord. Someone's always willing to say, oh, I'll hop on and help you. Or this is how you fix that. Or I have a computer issue and someone will come and help me with it. And, and that's like, those people you said you're trying to take in and give them the opportunities. It's, it's so good to see because the community as a whole, there are obviously a few bad eggs, but the sim community is brilliant as a whole at helping people out. So that's great to hear as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Imagine if you're at home, you're fixing, you know, your wheel has, you know, software issues. So you're updating the drivers, you're, you know, taking various bits apart, or maybe you're adjusting, you know, software. Like, 
we have brands who are prepared to kind of pay for that service. So like, if you have that much of a passion for sim racing, why not benefit from it as well? So maybe it funds the rest of your hardware that you're buying or or whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, I think that's like my big message is just if, if you have that technical knowledge and passion, you know, be sure to kind of either reach out to us or just, you know, chat to people about it because there's so much upside to, to having that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So before, I mean, I'm conscious that we're coming up to six o'clock. So, and, and again, thank you for giving up your time today to, to talk to us. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, but will you be at Sim Racing Expo this year? Will we? Will you see you there? Yeah, I will be there. I think we can definitely catch up. And um, <laughs> I, I, can we tell the story? We we had a, a pizzeria. Um, I think it was on one of the nights that we basically all took over, didn't we? I can if you were there. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a walk from the expo, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The restaurant maybe had like 20, 30 seats, and we literally probably brought thirty or forty people. But um, yeah. you know, it's just that sim racing community, right? It just transcends beyond what's on the screen when you turn that PC off at the end of a race. Yeah, that was a, that was exactly. a, that was a re- that was a really a really great weekend. Um, I, I'll always refer to it as it was knackering, but it was also great at the same time i i mean i wasn't like some of the people they would stay out all night i was like look i know i've got a big day tomorrow i'm gonna i'm gonna go to bed at a, re- at a reasonable hour um and stay off the beers but it's just it's just nice to see all the effort and it was kind of like in a way like a celebration of all that hard work that people nice. people put in uh and and you know i i just put in those kind of getting to actually have a one-to-one conversation uh, with people that you've had text conversations with over the internet or even just a voice chat in, in mm. Discord. And I know there'll be a few more of, of um, the SGP community and other communities that I'm in, uh, in you know, in Discord uh, will be there um, this year. And I, you know, I can't wait to meet them all. But um, thank you, Josh, uh, for giving up your time you, today for the for the podcast. Um, I'm sure we'll speak again at some point. And... Uh, Thank you very much for giving up your time. It was absolutely great to hear about SimStaff. And if you're interested, you know, go and check out their website. Uh, Josh, you said you've got vacancies on the go at the moment. Is that right? We're always recruiting. Always recruiting. So, yeah, be sure to reach out. So if you're passionate about sim racing and you want to turn it into a career, then reach out to Josh. I'm sure he wouldn't mind having a conversation with you and, and understanding what they've got available. But, uh, but yep, yeah, uh, thank you very much, Josh, for joining us. Uh, John, thank you also for being here. And uh We'll see you next time for episode three of uh, of the STP podcast powered by Moser Racing.